As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. A weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined today, as usual, by the athletic senior writer, Chris Vanini. Chris, hello and welcome. We are already over halfway through the season, which is kind of crazy to think about. It's it, We're halfway through the season. It's officially fall. It was 40 degrees in Texas here when I woke up today, so I'm finally feeling it. Uh, it, it really feels like the second half of the football season now. It's been it's been football weather here in the Midwest for a few weeks, but welcome, welcome. We're glad that it is uh, it here. is winter down there. Uh, before we get into the show, just a reminder that the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed is in full action. Uh, you'll find Max Olson, Sam Khan, more of our pals on this feed throughout the week. As always, I'll be joining Annie and Ari for our Friday preview show. And this week, I think, is the week that they're going to make me eat a spoonful of cottage cheese live. I'm actually going to be with Ari and you, Chris. We're all going to be in person in Dallas this week because there's college football playoff meetings. So I think and I think Ari's going to come and feed me cottage cheese live and Chris will witness it. So you must be very excited about that, first of all. Am, am I going to record it for on video? Like, I think you might. Yeah, I think if this, I think that if this happens, that will be your job, and also just I'm, a witness. No, I'm moment. looking forward. To, I mean, I'm thinking we should do it in front of all the commissioners too. Like, I, I think, I think, I think, I think no. Um, and <laughs> and before we get to those shenanigans, I'm excited to bring you today's episode of Power Hour. We break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. And if we make you thirsty while we're doing so, well, just feel free to grab something cold. We'll, we'll start as always by with, uh, with the power five, which is in true power hour fashion. We give ourselves about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds. And it is time to move on to the next Chris. I will let you take it away first. Number one. Should Tennessee be number one they came in at number three in both the ap uh number one uh, three in the ap poll number four in the coaches poll i had them at number one in my 131 rankings you actually had them number one in your saturday night top 10 why shouldn't tennessee be number one here 
I, this is what I've been saying. They have the best win in the country. I guess people have an aversion to moving teams around. I also do think that people still remember how Georgia beat Oregon in week one. I don't understand it. I think we should be more willing to be reactive. And we all saw that game. We all know how good of a win that was to beat Alabama the way that they did. Let them be number one. I number four in the coaches poll is pretty egregious, by the way. Yeah, the coach's poll is not real, essentially. that That's how I no. consider it these days. I, I, my way I look at it, look, I don't have an AP vote. I rank all 125, 131 teams, and that's a lot different than ranking 25 because you kind of have to piece it all together. But Tennessee has the best win beating Alabama. They also beat Florida. They also handled LSU on the road, LSU near the top 25 a lot of people that hey you win you move up if you don't if if you win or you 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 don't play you shouldn't move down i actually moved ohio state down quite a bit in my rankings i put them at number 5 i'm pretty sure ohio state fans got really upset at me i only did it cuz they just haven't played anybody yet so i think we really need to emphasize big wins more tennessee deserving of number 1 number 2 in the power 5 let's stay with tennessee they are fundraising uh about their Stolen goalposts. Okay, so it was an interesting tone. I I mean, I totally understand that Tennessee wants to fundraise off of their big win over Alabama. Um, But this is how they phrased the tweet. Y'all remember how we tore the goalposts down, hauled them out of Neyland, and dumped them in the Tennessee River? Yeah, that was awesome. Anyhow, anywho, turns out that in order to play next week's game, we need goalposts on our field. Could y'all help us out? Prayer emojis. So, again totally understand that you want to fundraise they you know came up with little catchy things you know you could give 16 dollars. it's been 16 years since alabama beat uh since alabama lost to tennessee you could give 52 dollars and 49 cents the final score of the game all those different things it's working tennessee has raised almost one hundred and sixty thousand dollars as we're recording this on tuesday evening so they are getting money for this but Chris, the tone was really off. And I think a lot of people were like, this makes us sound like we do not have the money to pay for the goalposts. And we know how many millions of dollars this athletic department brings in. So I think a little bit of a miss. Look, t- Tennessee out there acting like a poverty franchise, not something I expected to see. But look, this is both, it was both cringe and yet very smart because they already hit the money they wanted. You always fundraise off a big win. Like, Everybody does that. It makes sense to do that. Honestly, if they had even just rephrased this as, hey, we got fined $100,000 by the SEC because you're not allowed to storm the field. Wanna, you want to chip in and help us pay, pay it off? Acting like you needed the money to get the goalpost was a little uh, soft in, in, my, in my view. And it was one step closer to getting those political email donation pleads uh, from a college football program. So it, it, it was weird, but it worked. So you, you both have to, to cringe and, and tip your head to Tennessee. Number three, uh, our staff Heisman poll has a new leader, and that leader mm. is Tennessee, Hendon Hooker. He's been my number one for a couple of weeks now. Uh, we're about the midway point now. We can kind of start thinking about the real Heisman race. Hendon Hooker, clear number one. CJ Stroud, number two. Bryce Young, number three. Blake Corum from Michigan, number four. And TCU quarterback Max Duggan, Number five, my personal ballot was Hooker, Duggan, Caleb Williams. Uh, what about you, Nicole? 
Well, first of all, fifth place is a tie. Dorian Thompson Robinson is tied with Max Duggan. So just want to give him oh, yes. a particular shout out as well. I had uh that is actually a very good question. And so we fill these out when we're very sleep deprived. And so I need to remember. I said number one, Hendon Hooker, two Blake Corum, three CJ Stroud. Again, I, I I wrote about this. It's probably unfair to CJ Stroud. It's a little bit out of sight, out of mind. He didn't play. And there were just some phenomenal games this weekend. But to your earlier point, Ohio State has big games to come. Hasn't really yes. played them yet. So CJ Stroud has plenty of time to, to make up that ground. I, I was just, I, I've been saying Blake Corum is going to factor in, should be in this mix since before the season. It's hard for this to not be a quarterback award. So I'm just proud of our staff for giving Blake Corum some love. Yeah, more than 10 players got votes again, including Sam Hartman, Drake May, Bijan Robinson, Chase Brown. So I always appreciate that we have a wide variety of, uh, of people getting Heisman votes. So it's kind of that time of year now. You start thinking about the playoff, you start thinking about the Heisman, and uh, Hendon Hooker, probably the, the guy to beat right now. Number four, more comments from Brett Yormark. He did a media blitz last week, and now he's speaking at Big 12 Conference Basketball Media Days. He said on Tuesday that Texas and Oklahoma are, quote, going to be here through 25. They've committed themselves in advance of me getting here, and they've reiterated, reiterated their commitment. So they'll both be here through the duration. Obviously, he's referring to the ground of rights. Quote, and my relationship with both Texas and Oklahoma is very, very strong. They are full members and we're looking forward to working with them. This has been the subject of a lot of speculation about whether or not Texas and Oklahoma could get out of the grant of rights, could get out of the Big 12 before 2025. But at every twist and turn, we keep coming back to the fact that like this is a contract. It is worth a lot of money. It is very valuable for the Big 12 to have Texas and Oklahoma in it. And they were not just going to voluntarily let them go to another Power 5 conference. So, again, we'll see if this changes. But it's not a surprise, I don't think, that the Big 12 is operating under the assumption that Texas and Oklahoma are going to fulfill their contract. Yeah, you know, I actually, just last week, while doing some Conference USA reporting, I went back and looked at some of the early reports of the Texas-Oklahoma news when everything kind of got started. And... We all assumed that they'd be gone in a year or two. That's generally how it's happened. Missouri and Texas A&M were in the SEC pretty quickly. Um, we, we, I don't know if we've ever had a, uh, teams have to wait this long. You're talking 2021 to almost 2026 before they and, actually play. And they would be the ones that sparked an entire round of conference realignment being the last ones to join the conference over that period. Yes. Every every yeah everything that happened last year as a result of that has already finished. James Madison's already in the Sun Belt and reaching the yeah. top twenty-five, and that happened because of Texas and Oklahoma. And so, USC so that, and UCLA are joining the Big Ten in twenty twenty-four, which is also yes, ahead of twenty twenty-five. Also in twenty twenty-four, Conference USA just announced they're going to add Kennesaw State to get them to ten teams. Whether or not they go higher than that is still TBD, based on talking with people in that league. Um, Tarleton State, Stephen F. Austin, Missouri State, Eastern Kentucky, some of the contenders. No, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a North Dakota State type of deal. Uh, they geography matters in these uh, in these types of things. So Conference USA at ten, maybe twelve in the future. And number five. Speaking of that, no more undefeated Group of Five teams. James Madison, the aforementioned Dukes, 
lost to Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina got blown out by Old Dominion. So there are no more undefeated group of five teams, no Cincinnati's, no UCF's like we've been accustomed to. And that really opens up this group of five New Year's six spot, which is still on the line. I did check with the playoff. If there are no top 25 group of five teams in the CFP rankings, they will rank the, they will, they will pick the highest in their mind group of five conference champion. So Cincinnati's still in it. Coastal's in it. Uh, James Madison cannot be in it, but App State, Tulane. uh, This is really a wide open group of five spot right now. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. And just to get a sense of where the committee is thinking, we can ask Bill Hancock in those Tuesday night press conference calls that everyone loves so much. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, it is time to go to our happy hour segments where we talk about something that is going great, something that we're excited about, a team. And we are going to go and bring in our pal, Grace Rayner. She covers Clemson. She covers South Carolina schools, recruiting in the Southeast. She covers a little bit of everything now, but she is still our resident Clemson expert. So, Grace, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you. Oh, thanks. I'm excited to be here. You've been on the Clemson beat, off the Clemson beat, doing a lot. Uh, how has your fall been? Oh, it's been great. I feel like every year that I covered Clemson, that was the only game I would watch, basically, start to finish every single Saturday. And now I am watching all the games, and I feel like I'm part of the the club now. I'm like, oh, I get <laughs> the, it. Like The discourse. You can join <laughs> yes. the discourse. You can join all exactly. the teams. What, um, what does your Saturday look like? Like, are you, is this like a crock pot situation sitting on the couch the whole time? Like, how do you structure it now that you're not at a Clemson game every week? Yeah. So, um, I do, I still do a lot of recruiting coverage on Saturday. That's probably my big day where I'm like calling all these high school coaches, trying to get in touch with all these quarterback coaches, high school offensive coordinators for our roundup on Monday. Um, and then I get to watch the big games now, which is so much fun. I get to have dueling TVs and kind of do what you guys do. It's, it's pretty fun. Yes. And well, actually, some of the big games in recent weeks and one of the big games this week involves Clemson. So that's why we wanted to bring you on in the happy hour segment. We always talk about something that is working, something that is going well. And Clemson football is one of those things. So they're coming off a win over Florida State have a surprisingly big game with Syracuse. This is a top 15 game, undefeated Syracuse Orange. I don't know if anyone would have expected that even just a couple of weeks ago. But let's just backtrack and talk about how Clemson got to this point. It's 13 wins in a row by Clemson, 
which Dabo Swinney was quick to point out in the post game after beating Florida State that it is not easy to do this. You can't like accidentally win 13 straight games. So let's go back to last time they lost early part of last season, where the program seemed to be and how it got back on track. Yeah. I mean, we all saw this offense last year. It was, it was not good. Um, and I think we saw them start to make, we like they started to make some strides as they're getting closer to the postseason. They went on a nice little run at the end of the season. They win the cheese it bowl, all that good stuff. Um, I really do think in a lot of times in college football, there's a lot of gray area. I don't think it's always black and white in Clemson's case. I sort of do think it's black and white. They just got a lot better play from their quarterback. DJ Uyunglele has been, just been so much better. Um, I thought that he would be the reason that they either made the playoff again or possibly missed it again. He was just so inconsistent last year, but I think he's got his confidence back. They're playing a lot better around him um, and they seem to be cruising right now. Grace, Dabo really uh, doubled down, tripled down on his loyalty and, and, and promoting guys from within to coordinator roles in almost every open assistant role. Uh, wasn't someone who went outside to change things up. He doubled down on what they've done for so long. Is it fair to say at this point that it that it worked, that he was right? I mean, I think you definitely can't say it's not working, right? They're they're undefeated. <laughs> um, they're uh, what are they now? Four in the AP poll. Um, I think time will tell. But yeah, for for the time being, um, this was a, these were two hires that he knew he was probably going to be under a lot of scrutiny for because with both of these hires, he was very vocal, as you mentioned, Chris. Um, about he didn't even really entertain any other possibilities. He was he stood in front of everyone and said, both of these hires took me 30 seconds. Um, he just went down the hall and that was it. So um, I think a lot of people were curious, especially given the state of the offense last year, if they needed a fresh face in there and a, and a new perspective. But Brandon Streeter is, has done a really good job. They're winning. I think that they're winning games not as dominant as we've seen them in the past, but I think they'll you know, get better as the season goes on. But so far, I th- it's been a success. I feel like he has been proven right so far in a number of other things, too. I mean, this is a, a coach that is pretty against the portal, really didn't go in there to fix the issues that you know Clemson had last year. He also doubled down on DJ early in the season when people were calling for Kate Klubnik, and that's worked out. I mean, h- how how has DJ improved? He, he's been so much more consistently good. How, how did that happen? I think a lot of it is, and they t- they've talked a lot about this and I feel like we hear it on the broadcast literally every week, but his body is just in much better shape. First of all, he, I think he dropped anywhere between, I think they said 25, 30 pounds. So I think he's just physically in a lot better shape. Um, he's able to move better. He's creating when things break down. So that's a big part of it. Um, and I think he just looks more accurate that like, we've always seen that he has this huge arm and, and we know that he could throw down the field for a million yards, but last year he just seemed to not have a ton of touch and just sailing it over these receivers heads at every turn. And I think he's just a lot more poised. I think he's seeing things better last year. I think he was a little frantic in the pocket. They're better around him. And then I think probably more than anything, he's just, he's just finally strung together enough really good outings for him to get that confidence back. How, how, how is the Clemson fan base taking this? I mean, I mean, going back to last year with how 
troubled everything was? Were they calling for big change or were they not? Or what did they, how did they react to what didn't, didn't change and in, in their thoughts on how things have been going now? Yeah, they're pumped now. Um, <laughs> I think it was, um, I think it was pretty split. You know, you had the, the group that there was a, the contingency that is of the mindset of, look, dabo has been here since 08. He's won Clemson two titles. He knows what he's doing. It might not make a lot of sense, but we're going to follow him. And then there was the other group that was like, it's 2022 football, college football is changing. He has to get into the portal. He's so stubborn. Um, so it was, it was kind of a, a split reaction, I would say, but, um, I'll give it to Clemson fans. They are a very loyal, passionate fan base. Even when it was clear, they would not going to make the playoff last year. They, they still showed up. They still cared. Um, I don't think a lot of them believed in DJ the way that Dabo did, but I know that they're, they're pretty excited about that now. So let's talk a little bit about the way they won games because you mentioned they're not as dominant as we're used to seeing Clemson be Clemson, and especially against ACC competition. The defense has definitely been more suspect at different times, and again, in a way that you know over the this the dynasty, it's it's not exactly how we've always seen it. But they've been good, I think, at pulling away from teams. And Florida State, there was a lot of fight. They they came back in that game, but. You know, Clemson has been pointing this out that they're really good in the middle eight. So that's the four minutes before halftime, the four minutes after. A, how much of a focal point is that? And B, how concerned should we collectively be about the defense? Okay, starting with A, I can remember even when Jeff Scott was Clemson's co-offensive coordinator talking about the middle eight. That's been like a years long thing. And I think that is absolutely when they slam the door on people. And I think anytime we see them win big and win definitively, we can almost always go back and point to that middle eight as some sort of a huge turning point. I just think they're so good right before and right after the half. Um, and then with the defense, I was I had my concerns about them earlier this season. I thought the passing defense looked pretty vulnerable. They were without a bunch of guys in the secondary who were battling various injuries. Um, but I still think that Clemson still has one of the best run defenses in the country. And every time I see offenses try to run up the middle on them, I look across this defensive line that has like 505 stars on it. And I'm like, what are you doing? This is not going to end well for you. Um, so I still think that they are, uh, are really talented. And I think Wes Goodwin, the new defensive coordinator, is just getting a little more comfortable. He was compared so much to Brent Venables, and they are absolute polar opposites when it comes to their personalities. Um, but I think he's getting into a little bit more of a rhythm. And um, I don't I don't have as many concerns about the defense as I did probably a month ago. Yeah, Clemson is fifth nationally in yards per run allowed. So one of the best in the country, that 26th in yards per pass. And we, we, we saw Wake Forest move the ball up and down the field uh, on them. Florida State was able to score 28 points. But it was kind of a, a bit of a strange game. But speaking of the rest of the ACC, this is obviously a big game. Clemson and Syracuse are the only undefeated teams in the ACC. They're in the same division in, in that Atlantic division while we still have ACC divisions. Wake is not far behind at 5-1. and one. And then uh, North Carolina is kind of ahead of the rest of the Coastal because they're 6-1 and one, um, 6-1 overall. What, um, what do you make of the rest of this conference right now and, and the potential challenges Clemson still faces? Yeah, I mean, I think if we look back at years past, the big knock on Clemson, right, has been their strength of schedule. And right now, if they beat Syracuse on Saturday, which I think they will do, and I think they will do handily, 
uh, you're looking at three ranked wins for this Clemson team, which is more than we've we've seen them in the past. So um, I think Wake Forest being a really strong team has been great for the conference. I absolutely hate that Devin Leary is done for the year. I just that NC State team ha- was so much fun and. I thought that that was a win that was going to age really well for Clemson. I don't know that it will moving forward. We'll kind of see what happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, the coastal seems to still be a little chaotic. Our, our most favorite division in all of sports. I would love to see UNC's offense against Clemson's defense. I think that'd be a really fun matchup. Um, but I think Clemson is right where they want to be and, and very clearly in the driver's seat of this conference again. I was just looking to the standings. Which again means for the playoff too, just like yes, obviously sir. it's clear path. I was just looking to the standings real quick. Florida State is two and three in ACC play. Wake Forest is one and one according to to, to uh, uh, the standings there. So three, they played three more ACC games. That's kind of wild. Yeah, Cle- that was another thing that kind of confuses me. Like, Sarah, I don't know if you guys have looked at Syracuse's back half of the schedule, but it is stacked. And yes. so I think that's another thing that is so interesting with this matchup is that, yes, they're both undefeated, but I think they're two, they're undefeated in two very different ways, in my opinion. They are. And it's going to be an interesting one. You, you brought this up. I mean, Clemson's actually the only team that has two top 25 wins against the current top 25. Um, so I, I, I really, I wrote this in my top 10 overnight over the weekend, but I really feel like we collectively are underrating Clemson and it's weird to say, cause they've been in the top five all season, but it really feels that way. And maybe this will be the game that changes that grace before we let you go. It's not just a big week of unbeaten teams in the ACC. I saw your eyes light up <laughs> as we recorded this. It is also a Taylor Swift midnight album release called midnights which we are so used to um all of us me me and you especially staying up like turning on candles at midnight listening to taylor swift when she drops a new album so candles candles (laughs) and wine yeah like putting (laughs) candle and like drinking red wine and just yeah lay on the floor for a few which is actually probably the vibe of this new album which is called midnight's so my question for you is if you had to compare Clemson to a Taylor Swift song right now, Ooh. which to date Taylor Swift song would you compare Clemson to? Oh man, that is so hard. I know there's so many options. Oh my gosh. There are so many options. So someone asked me this last year and I think like if we're looking at Clemson in the Dabo Sweeney era, it's definitely long live from her speak mm. now album. Like there's a whole lyric in there about fighting dragons. And uh, there's like some, a lot of weird sports references in that song actually. Um, so I think that's uh, that's the song for them over the last whatever, 14 years right now. I don't know. I kind of like, I kind of like Clemson as 22. Like they're, they just, they had a rough go last year. Things were a little, a little precarious at times, but they just seem to be having fun. They're hanging out with their friends. They're dancing at midnight. They have all these primetime games. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I kind of like them as, uh, <laughs> as 22, a nice fall album read. It, it is. I, I might just throw in, depending on how the season ends, I could see, Dabo being like, look what you made me do. You know, oh, I mean, sure. he's really dug in on all of those things Definitely. that make, <laughs> make him him. And then if they go and make the playoff or win a bunch of games, I mean, I could see, I could see that. Well, Grace, we will let you go. We appreciate the time. Happy Taylor Swift album release week. I'm very excited to analyze that and also the Clemson game with you at some point off air. 
Oh, yay. Thank you guys so much for having me. Happy Taylor Swift week and week seven. What is it? Week seven? College football? Eight. eight. Week eight. Okay. Well, it's, well, we know which one is more important. It's okay. <laughs> that's that's why we brought you on this week. <laughs> Grace, Grace Rayner covers Clemson, covers the whole Southeast, covers recruiting nationally, covers everything for us at The Athletic. Grace, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Our other happy hour topic uh, that we are not going to go super deep dive into all of these teams, but there's a bunch of teams that are just having really, really special seasons, Chris. And I think the happy hour, like what I'm happy about is the season to date. We had multiple field storms after incredible games last weekend. We have, you know, an undefeated TCU. We have an undefeated Syracuse. We have a lot of just great stories throughout the season the big 10 west looks like it's going to be decided by illinois purdue i don't know who saw that coming it's just been awesome so my i I think it's more of i'm just happy about how the season has been to date but there's also just been a lot of incredible seasons by individual teams yeah i mean we have five teams that missed a bowl game last year that are already bowl eligible at six and over or six and one and that that includes uh tcu Illinois, USC, Tulane, and Syracuse. And I was uh, at TCU, Oklahoma State, in Fort Worth over the weekend. I was on the on the field for that that field storm. And yeah, this is I, I hadn't realized TCU hasn't played in a bowl game in four years. Like like they they were qualified for one in 2020, but it's it's been actually quite a down stretch for them. They're already bowl eligible, and they they welcome in uh, Kansas State fellow big 12 undefeated uh, in conference play this weekend for first place uh, in the conference and, and TCU's beaten three straight then ranked teams for the first time in school history, Max Duggan, we mentioned him as a Heisman candidate right now. So uh, they are, they play one of the biggest games of the weekend once again. And uh, they, they in particular have been very fun to watch. Yeah. It's, it was a shame that that game was right head to head against Alabama, Tennessee. Although for those of us at home, um, you know, it was literally like that game was in overtime as Tennessee was beating Alabama. Like it was just it was incredible how those two finishes were timed up. And then also Michigan State, Wisconsin was happening at the same time. So that was pretty remarkable. But they're one of the great stories of this season. And we'll definitely be tracking on them. I feel like they got a little bit overshadowed last weekend just because of Alabama, Tennessee and then Utah, USC later in the day as well. We got to move on to our on the rock segment. This is the part of the show where we talk it out. There is friction somewhere in this sport and we are here to help work through it. There are a number of rocky relationships that we could choose. Let's just start with Alabama. Just talking about the Tennessee game. Had a number of reasons to just heap praise on Tennessee and Hendon Hooker and Josh Heupel and all of the things that the Vols are doing right now. But what about Alabama? Bama. They have had a lot of penalties. They have had a lot of near misses in the last two years, including the Texas game earlier this season. Nick Saban, some questions about how he managed the clock late in the game. There were just like a lot of weird parts of Alabama losing to Tennessee that don't take away at all from what Tennessee did, but just felt weird to watch an Alabama team do. Yeah, look, it's not hard to see Alabama winning that game on on. They've won, they've won that exact game how many times? Like, yeah, we've seen when, them when, do that. When they got the scoop and score touchdown off the mesh fumble, you just felt like, up, oh, that was it. That was Tennessee blowing a chance. We've we've seen this time and time again. And it, even at the end, Jameer Gibbs doesn't drop a, a pass late in the game, or 
Alabama makes that field goal at, at the end of the game, they probably win. Like, like that's it. So, like, it, the, the margins have been small, but they've typically been getting past them, like with Texas, like with Texas A&M. But really, it just highlights all the problems we knew this Alabama team already had. They struggled to defend the deep ball. And Jalen Hyatt got behind them time and time again, and Tennessee could hit deep ball after deep ball. And they put up more points against Alabama than anybody since, what, 1907, I think it was? It was more. It's been more than a hundred years. I wasn't. I wasn't awake. I wasn't alive. How well, I, I mean, like that was the. Yes, that, that was the stat. That was the stat out there. We also know that Alabama just straight up struggles to keep its composure on the road. They've averaged fourteen penalties per game on the road, compared to just six at home. It was an issue at Texas. It was an issue here, and it it it's costly. There's some pass interference penalties. Uh, in that one that were important. So this is just, we, we've said it multiple times, but this this has not been the dominant Alabama team we thought. And after dodging a few, they got caught. Yeah, and we've said this about, you know, the, the receivers and the receivers that they've had in recent years. I'm, again, surprised that we're saying, we're, we're questioning really Nick Saban down the stretch of that game. I mean, there you could argue that Tennessee should not have had as much time as they did to get in position to win that game at the end. Um, so just a lot of uncharacteristic Alabama things. And um, our Aaron Settles has been writing about that as well and breaking all of that down. Okay, next Rocky relationship is Penn State and James Franklin in particular, but also the way that Penn State lost to Michigan last weekend. Michigan just gashed them on the ground. It was 418 rushing yards. And I know that it seemed close at halftime because of that fluky pick six and the score kind of it's weird to say about a a game with that margin but it wasn't as close as the final score indicated and it was what 41 17 at the end wasn't that close it was just really a clinic by Michigan on both sides of the ball and JJ McCarthy said that Jim Harbaugh said it was a butt kicking it was and it was just exactly the game that you can't have if you're Penn State and you're James Franklin and you already have this really poor record against ranked teams on the road as the head coach at Penn State you can't keep coming out of these games saying you know okay we we could not we 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 couldn't battle in the trenches on either side we don't have the type of physicality and he even came out of this one saying like they don't have the right sized defensive linemen and it was just weird because he's been there for so long and he could recruit different body types if he really felt like that was the issue obviously Michigan has dudes as well Michigan also has one of the best offensive lines in the country but it just feels like Penn State is really really struggling against teams like Michigan that want to impose their will physically in the game and we've seen this with Ohio State as well in Penn State and we just keep coming out of these big games saying okay well it kind of basically discounts all of what Penn State did to this point in the season And we come out just talking about how there's still such a massive gap between Ohio State or now Michigan and Penn State. And it's just really rocky. That's what this segment is for, this exact situation. Yeah, look, man, you're in year nine there. If you don't have the the guys you need on the line, like, that's on you. (laughs) So, like, it's it's been a, a long time. Everything he wants is in place. Look. Penn State came into this game, I think, somewhere in the top 10 in rushing yards they per were. game allowed. Yep. And they left the game ranked 56th in the country <laughs> in rushing That's yards what will per happen. game allowed. And they also rank 85th 
in yards per uh, rush allowed on, on the season because Michigan put up 418 yards. Donovan uh, Edwards had uh, 173. Blake Corum had 163. And J.J. McCarthy said it best after the game. He, he, said, he said, like Cart Coach Harbaugh said in the locker room, it's a butt kicking in every way, which way a butt could be kicked. And we've seen this a lot from Penn State. You know, like they've just never consistently been on that Michigan-Ohio State level in terms of beating a Michigan team that's a really, really good team. Um, and look, James Franklin just signed a 10-year contract. So like this is not going anywhere anytime soon. But just a, a, a game in which Penn State fans come out of that feeling like, up, oh, it's 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 not it's not going to be the season we hoped it was going to be. We're still behind Michigan. We're still behind Penn State, and that's a frustrating place to be while the Big Ten still has divisions. It is, and also while the playoff is not expanded yet, because there's just really not much. You go into a game, come out of it, and there's just not that much to look forward to. James James Franklin also was talking about the tunnel incident, which we all saw footage of. Um, this is one of the weird quirks of the big house is that it's it's one of the few places where like both of the teams the full rosters are going to be in the same place and we saw the skirmish in this game and first of all i think this is fun i think this is interesting and mostly harmless if people are just jawing back and forth but james franklin was worked up about it um you know he was talking about it this week about that situation I mean, Chris, like, what, what's your take on that? I mean, the big house isn't going to change its layout. I mean, I think this is just like it's just happened with Ohio State games. Like, it's just something that happens there because you're in this really, really narrow tunnel. And that's the only way in and out of the stadium. This is weird because most I think most college stadiums have one tunnel. Like, well, but now but now you have like the locker rooms tend to be in like opposite end zones or like far apart from each other. Well, in, in or different like, ways to get in, in NFL stadiums. Yeah, but like, I mean, like I went to Michigan State. They've got one tunnel there, and it's an even smaller tunnel than it is at at at, at um than it is at Michigan. Michigan's is kind of weird because it's on the sideline and not in an end zone where you typically yeah it comes get out them. at the, at the fifty. Yeah, that's kind of a, a weird spot too. I I don't know, man. Like that's just on your logistics people <laughs> for getting the right. for getting the teams in and out at the same time. Um, it's been that way for a hundred years. It's fine. He, he, he sometimes fixates on interesting things. I mean, last year you had the, the feud with Iowa um, about fake injuries and, and now you've got the tunnel with Michigan and there's lots of off on field issues as well for Penn state to work through. Okay. Last one for on the rocks, Rocky relationship. We've talked about Notre Dame before on this show, Chris, I will just, I will just ask you this. Do you know who Stanford and Marshall have lost to this season i know they lost to eastern kentucky marshall did um they've lost to almost everyone they've played actually in in yes. fbs yes um do you know and who FCS. <laughs> yes do you know do you know who who marshall and stanford have beat the only team that they have beat in fbs play this season that would be the notre dame fighting irish that would be the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. That was a really, really bad loss for Marcus Freeman in year one. Yes. I honestly like saw the score and I was like, wait, is that right? Is that real? Like Stanford has been bad this season. Like they've they've changed things up. It's not the Stanford you remember. Like they they run a faster offense. They're running a lot of the Wake Forest mesh type of offense, but they have struggled this year. 
And I saw the score early on. I was like, all right, Notre Dame's just kind of messing around. They'll, they'll eventually come away. And they never did. And, and this is, look, they made me look bad because I ranked Notre Dame 25th last week. This is about you. Yes, they uh, they beat North Carolina, which I think people kind of forgot, and they had won three in a row, seemed to have turned the ship, and boom, you lose to a bad Stanford team, and oof, things are not great there. Yeah, the, the end of the season can't get here fast enough, I think, for Marcus Freeman. Uh, just a number of lows in his first season. Okay, it's time for our last call. This is the point in the show where we are doing cheers or jeers, so we are doing really whatever you might want to do if you're ordering you know your last drink the bar is closing you might be excited about something and, and want to celebrate one last time you also may want to rant about something and get it off your chest um i will go first i've got a sentimental one a sentimental cheers it is two-parter cheers to the usc utah game it was a phenomenal game in a phenomenal campus atmosphere you could just feel rice eccles through the tv screen incredible game back and forth anyone who loves the college football internet loves when coaches go for two and go for the win kyle whittingham did that and they got it cam rising was spectacular in this game it was just really really fun and it was also very very emotional um and so that's what i wanted to highlight you saw the players wearing these hand-painted helmets uh to commemorate ty jordan and aaron lowe who both died um, and we're teammates of obviously many of these players. Um, you know, it's it's still very recent. And Kyle Whittingham was emotional after the game. And there was this really amazing clip. And I encourage everyone to go find it. I think we're going to play some of the sound here in the post game of Kyle Whittingham, making sure that the mothers of Ty Jordan and Aaron Lowe got the game ball from this win from from beating USC. So here here's what Kyle Whittingham said in the locker room after the game. Where's JJ? Come on here, JJ. All right. Could have been a lot of game balls going around tonight. Tonight, but tonight, Tonka and Donna, our special guests, the proud mamas of the two fallen soldiers, JJ, take over here. Ace the game ball right here. I want y'all to know from, from the team to y'all, that we, they forever play through us, and we forever playing for them. We dedicated. We love you. We love y'all. You love you. I'd like to hear from you, ladies, if you want to take a second here. You guys, I just want to say thank you. And y'all did a great job. And y'all have did a great job last year and this year. Yes, sir. We love you, ladies. Thank you so much for coming out. It, it was just a really emotional game and you could see that on on the players um and you could just feel that in the post game the way everyone was choked up the way just it meant a lot for for that particular crowd and that particular environment to play like that for you know their 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 fallen teammates so um, just cheers to Utah, an incredible win and a very emotional one. And I'm sure it just meant a lot to Utah fans. And really, I, I got emotional watching it. You could just you could just feel how much it meant to people. So cheers to Utah for both a great game and, you know, for, for doing something really special for for your program and, and for, you know, your teammates and their families. Yeah, that was incredibly touching. I, I miss 
kind of the first half of the game because I was coming back from from TCU and I caught the second half while I was uh, driving home. But yeah, just for, for for you know for that game to be the one that you break out these helmets and to win it in the way you did, just that's an all time moment I think there for 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 Utah football and that decision to go for two. I I thought it was great because you know you're going to have to stop USC. There was what. 40 something seconds left. Yes, I like say. 40, 48 maybe. So you, you know you're going to have to get a stop anyway. And I believe Utah had uh, at least two timeouts left, or it had some timeouts left that in case it didn't get, a, if it missed it, it didn't get an outside kick. I'm pretty sure they would have had a chance to stop it. But you know, you're you're playing for the win in that situation. It's a high scoring game. You know, you don't want to you don't want to play for overtime and depend on your defense to win that game. So you'd rather depend on your defense to stop USC from going the length of the field. And, and that's at least in a field goal range. And, and that's what they did. So I thought that was a great, uh, a great call. My um, mind is going to be a jeers. We haven't done a jeers in a while. We've been, we've been very positive. I've been proud of us. Actually, we, we, we have been, but some news that came out Tuesday that the NFL is going to have a black Friday game on Amazon prime video in 2023 that will take place at 3 p.m. And there's like legal reasons why it's at 3 p.m. Um, so this likely means we're probably going to get an NFL game going up against something like Iowa, Nebraska. And I got, I just, I got to say, I hate, hate, hate how the NFL keeps encroaching on college football scheduling territory. And this is going to be a bigger issue moving forward. Some of us remember when Thursday night was the big college football night you get a big big east game a boston college you know ranked game a virginia tech of miami or something like that and that was the big game but eventually the nfl expanded from its thanksgiving games to do more games on thursdays those are now on amazon prime video and uh so the nfl is trying to take thursdays and now they're trying to take black friday and i just i don't like it i think college football needs to find a way to kind of push back a little bit on this it's in a tough spot because nobody wants to go up against the NFL. The NFL rating is, is kings. I mean, Alabama, Texas, uh, Alabama, Tennessee got 11.5 million viewers. The chiefs bills game on Sunday got 25 million viewers. It's just, it, it is a massive audience. And so people don't want to go up against it. You've also got people like Fox and ESPN and CBS who are partners with college football and the NFL. And they don't want to upset the NFL by scheduling something against them. But, College football has to find a way here to just decide to go up against the NFL because letting the NFL take more and more space is just simply going to lessen the window in which you have college football. And when you expand the college football playoff, this is going to be an issue, which they have talked about, that we may get playoff games during the weekdays because they don't want to go up against the NFL on the weekends. So I think college football needs to kind of get a handle on this and try to work with its media partners and just schedule some big games against the NFL and figure out if your media partners are willing to do it. Uh, Cause I think it's not good if you're kind of shrinking the window of college football. Yeah. And the big 10 wants to the, play more on black Friday. They already have yes. that one game and they want to add at least another. So um, that's one. And you're absolutely right about playoff expansion. That is part of the reason that they're talking about weekday games. You also have, four games you need to get in for that first round. Um, so, you know, that is a Saturday, at least the way the schedule is structured right now. If you don't move the start of the regular season up to week zero, you are going to have that Saturday in December when the NFL is allowed to start playing on Saturday. So that's where that comes in and becomes a factor. 
And maybe if you dip your toes in there and you're competing against them because you have to get those playoff games in, it's important to have that round. And you're going to put one or two games against NFL games or against like, you know, an Amazon game on a Thursday. Maybe that rips the bandaid off and college football is willing to try some things. But I I think you're right that you can't continue to just kind of give up all of the days in times that the NFL is playing because they are clearly going for basically every day of the week. They're coming from action next. They can't take match. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and look, the, the Amazon Thursday night football ratings have gone down and down each week since it started. And we've gotten some pretty good college football games on Thursday this week. Yeah. We had Baylor, West Virginia. Um, I think on FS one, it was this past weekend. That was a really exciting game. And on the other it was bears bears commanders. I think, and it was a brutally terrible game. There've been some some bad games, bad games there. So, just hope college football just can doesn't cede more ground to the NFL. But the NFL is an absolute behemoth, and it's becoming more and more of a problem in the sport. It is, and I will close this episode with this point: that bad college football games are better than bad NFL games because they are always entertaining and unique in their badness. And that is another reason why college football is superior, which I'm sure most of you listening probably agree anyway. That will do it for this week's Power Hour. For Chris Benini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thanks for listening. We'll see if I survive the cottage cheese. And uh, if I do, we'll see you next Wednesday.